This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Maritime Developments Limited, project engineering specialists for the energy sectors on a global level. MDL provide topside asset maintenance alongside equipment and personnel packages for surf, coil tubing, cables and moorings. MDL design and build their equipment in-house, making for an extremely safe, efficient and modern rental fleet, all underpinned by MDL's 21-year project management and engineering expertise. Find out more at www.maritimedevelopments.com Great slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and sitting with me in the director's box are my fellow board members, Graham Steele and Gavin Baxter. How are we doing, guys? Very well, thank you. And certainly sober. We are a few hours removed from a crushing 2-0 victory over Dundee United. And I can say with absolutely no sense of hyperbole that I have just watched a team that are going to win the quadruple this year. <laughs> I don't think Dundee United are going to win anything. <laughs> Oh, they're certainly not, but they might win the championship next year. So, yeah, um, on this week's show, we're going to take a look back at the uh, 2-0 defeat to Balclub and Hecken in the return leg of the qualifying round two of the Europa Conference League. And we'll share our thoughts on uh, the exuberant 2-0 victory in our opening SPFL Premiership match against Dundee United. And we're then going to have another look forward to another packed week of action for the Dons. We'll be joined by Hjovar Olofsson of Iceland's biggest daily newspaper, Fritablithith, to preview our Europa Conference League qualifying round three tie against Breithablik. Oh, the pronunciations are superb here. And we're going to run the rule over Livingston as we prepare to visit the Spaghetti Had for our first domestic away day of the campaign. So first up on the agenda, Palkubenhecken 2, Aberdeen 0, 29th of July, the Bravida Arena in Gothenburg. So we're not going to go into a huge amount of depth on this one. I don't think it's... um, it's a little bit far removed, I think, now from the game itself. Other people have already done it there, but what did you think about the return tie in Sweden last week? On the whole, my general feeling was that it was a game that we could have scored goals in. I feel as though I took a more positives out than I typically would have out of a 2-0 defeat in Europe. In some ways, there was maybe a naivety in our game management, particularly when Hecken went 1-0 up and... I'm not going to be shy away from it. I think Hecken let us off the hook a little bit in terms of them getting 2-0 up. And at that point, it felt like we were under the cosh and then their man goes and gets sent off. On the whole, I mean, it was it was referred to in our chat that I think that we could have scored goals. It might have been a case of match sharpness that some guys made the wrong decisions or executed passes in a way that didn't quite obviously benefit us. But I mean... Let's be fair, it was our fourth game into pre-season. If you're taking this, for lack of a better term, resultista approach to football, we made it through what we all thought was going to be a very tricky tie and what's not to be enjoyed about that. Yeah, I think I would absolutely agree with that. On the night, maybe not quite what we wanted. Obviously, you don't really want to lose any games. We had chances to score, didn't take them. They did, you know, took them. That's the way the football goes. Um, Obviously, Pretty good result from Patodre, gives a bit of a cushion. But I think I would absolutely agree, at the end of the day, 
given everything we've gone through in terms of new manager, you know, players, we weren't too sure what sort of style we're looking for, etc. Getting through the tie is all that really matters. I'm less concerned with how Thursday night went. Ideally, we would have won. We didn't, but we're through. Pretty tidy aggregate score. The fact that we missed the chances is a little bit frustrating, but, you know, the flip side is, I know it's the old cliche, you got to be there to miss them. We created the chances. That's encouraging. I feel like that's a step forward from, you know, where we maybe would have been previously. You know, no injuries, nobody sent off. They lost a the plot, we didn't. You could argue it's not a bad night, um, all things considered. And at the end of the day, we got through, job done. Pretty pleased when I look at the two legs. And it's quite nice to be talking about um, looking forward to, you know, another European night at Pedodri. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, when the draw was made, if you'd have given us a 5-3 aggregate victory, most people think would have bitten off the relevant hand that would have offered that there and then. So, I mean, if we just have a quick look at the game itself, I mean, obviously we went into the game with an unchanged lineup, similar to the home tie, a pretty frantic opening 10 or 15 minutes where we're fortunate, I think, that Hecken don't go at least one goal up, maybe even two goals up. And if they do at that point, then it, it does become proper, you know, squeaky bum time. And then we seem to get a foothold in the game again. We've got some good chances for for um, for Jet, worked himself in a decent position. Ferguson had a good header, which he maybe just didn't quite connect with. I kind of feel as well, I don't know, uh, no one's really spoken about this very much, but I wonder as well, we got to halftime, nil-nil. It's 5-1 on aggregate at that point. I do wonder if maybe going in at that point, coming out for the second half, a lot of attention started to focus more towards the Dundee United game at that point. Because you've seen through 45 minutes, it's unlikely Hecker are then going to score four goals in 45 minutes. Does Is there a natural mindset shift from the players where they now are looking towards the weekend? I think we as fans would probably look at that and think to yourselves, if you've avoided the one or two early goals, then your job is done. And maybe that is just complacency on the part of our players at that point. But yeah, we we were we made we were made to pay for that because they got those two goals. And had their guy not got sent off then, we could have been in real trouble at that point. Yeah, their tails are up at that point. And I mean, I think he gets sent off just about two or three minutes after the penalty. It's a matter of moments. So it's it, it's it's daft. The one thing I would say is it's really streetwise by Jack McKenzie. So for a player as young as he is and as inexperienced as his level, he makes sure that the referee sees the foul, which is definitely a booking, I think, anyway. And I'm not entirely sure how much contact there necessarily is with him with the flailing arm. But again, he makes sure that the ref sees it. He's got no decision to make, basically, other than to pull out the second yellow card. And it's fair to say that the next uh, 20 minutes of refereeing was pretty extraordinary. <laughs> We've all seen that meme, the guy at the festival with the cards. I think that was absolutely appropriate in this case. It was odd watching it and seeing cards flash up and kind of thinking, well, I'm not too sure what happened there. And then obviously the caption comes up on the screen, you think, I'm still not too sure what happened there, but, you know, fair enough, it wasn't Aberdeen player. We'll move on. I, I don't know if Willie, Willie Collum has a European cousin, but it was quite impressive to watch. If anyone wants to tell us why Declan Gallagher got yellow carded. Yeah, I mean, extraordinary stuff for Declan Gallagher. I mean, that is, we've spoken about before, that's the quiz, the pub quiz question to end all pub quiz questions now, I think, about which Aberdeen player was booked before he'd even set foot on a pitch for Aberdeen. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah, you're right, Gav. The red card kills any hopes I think that Hecken had are coming out of the tie. Um, I think we saw the remaining period out pretty comfortably. And as we said, you come out of that tie, 5-3 in aggregate, jobs are good and move on. Hecken are no mugs, um, no matter what happened in the first leg. So yeah, it's a good result, I think, overall. 
Aberdeen 2, Dungeon United nil, Sunday 1st of August at Pataudry Stadium. Just over 6,000 in attendance. What do we think? Well, I mean, still, I mean, you were talking about what it felt like to be back at Pataudry after all the time. Yeah, um, it was strange. I, I was on, for various reasons, I couldn't go to the test matches and I couldn't go to the European matches because I'd obviously picked a holiday when I had 15 months to pick from and I picked the wrong month. Um, so it's difficult to look at it objectively because it was the first time back at Pataudry and obviously... You know, over and above that was the first time with you guys, so slightly different emotions. But the bottom line is, if I break it into chunks, we won home game, three points. I think we uh, mentioned last week our record against Dundee United was atrocious last season, and we were talking about this would be a real test in terms of, for one of our better de- de- uh, description, like-for-like opposition. I know they've changed managers and they've had players coming and going, as we have, but it's a home league game against Dundee United, it's three points. If you're going to achieve anything this season, you're going to have to be winning your home games and you're going to have to pick up something against the old firm. So it's job done. There were some decent performances in there, I think, from individuals. Um, obviously delighted for Ramirez to get a goal. Um, I think any striker is going to tell you confidence is a big part of his game. So new club, new country, gets his goal. That was excellent. I thought Ojo... Had a pretty solid game. We were we were in the red shed, so it felt like first half he's everywhere defensively, and then in the second half he's you know he's popping up offensively as well. Most importantly, I'd like to get the three points, but actually felt like it was a bit more exciting to watch. We controlled the ball a bit better. We were chatting amongst ourselves. Anytime there was a I say long ball or sort of ball over the top. It didn't have the aimless feel that it used to have. You know, it didn't feel like we were just shelling the ball for a respite and it was coming straight back at us. We were, it was a ball over the top and maybe someone didn't make the run and they should have and they acknowledged it or they did make the run. It, it all just looked a little bit more planned out and guys knew they'd get the ball in a difficult situation, but there wasn't a panic because they had a teammate who was making an easy pass for them and everyone's sort of of the opinion that go back to Graham Hunter, we want the ball now rather than the ball is our enemy, shell it up, regroup and see what happens. Yeah, that was 100% my view on the game. I think United, from my perspective, and again, we were in the red shed, so you don't get the best perspective on the game, but I think United lined up in a a 5-4-1 kind of formation. In years gone by, this has been like a setup that would have been really frustrated Aberdeen. We would have played into the opposition's hands in terms of we would have just shelled the ball up to a Cosgrove or a main and given Reynolds or Bulgaru or the other centre-back they have the easiest game of the season. I saw tonight a lot of encouraging uh, performances from our guys, especially with players making runs off the ball. I think we saw that as a constant theme from whether it was Ferguson or Ojo. And as you say, I think on the whole, our guys showed this difference in... The way we want to play football as the ball is our friend, as you say. In difficult situations, you saw... It's the same with the game against uh, Heck in, in the second leg. Situations where Ramsey or McCrory might just instinctively want to shell the ball forward, but they take the ball into feet and they have the composure and then pass the ball to a teammate rather than this aimless punt upfield. And I think most of all, for me today, um, the most significant takeaway is... 
again, like we talked about after the first leg, if Scott Brown had any skeptics left after today, it's gone. That guy controlled the game both on the pitch and with the referee. It's quite interesting to see. It feels like a sort of step change that opposition player commits a foul. It feels like we would have sort of retreated from the referee and let him do his business, whereas now Scott Brown's in there with the sort of three, four fingers in the air, even though it's the guy's first foul. It's that sort of into the referee, don't you know this guy's been fouling this guy and this guy and this guy? And it might not have been, but at the end of the day, everyone's going to get influenced and it's better that he's influenced in our favour than not. Yeah, so I mean, if we just have a quick <clears throat> look, I guess, to the actual team lineup that started off the game, so pretty much unchanged from, from midweek with the exception of uh, Jack McKenzie coming in, the starting lineup in place of Ryan Hedges, who I believe had picked up a knock in Sweden, didn't recover from it, didn't make the, the match day squad, although... There is obviously the rumours doing the rounds that Blackburn might be interested in, in Ryan Hedges and there's some chat that maybe that's part of the reason he was out of the squad. I think it looks like it's an injury piece. Blackburn are skint as far as I can recall. So I can't imagine they'd be looking to try and sign a player who's out of contract in a year's time um, and, and pay a fee for somebody just now. So with that change, it meant obviously John Hayes pushed up the line into the kind of left, inside left kind of position Ojo had been playing in in the previous two matches and Ojo shifted over to the right-hand side. Um, other than that though, pretty much exactly the same lineup as we've seen in the two games previously. From from back to front, I think Lewis, for me, had, had very little to do. Considine, I am I am a bit wary about how much Andy Considine will play in this team going forward if we want to keep playing the, the style of football we want to play. There was a couple of times today I thought that he did look a little bit uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, I don't know what you guys, what you guys felt about that. No, I think that's absolutely fair enough. I think the three of us absolutely love... Andy Considine, he's obviously a popular player and what he's achieved is really rather impressive. But we did chat amongst us, if we are looking to sort of almost in any position have the ball and be able to be composed and play a pass, I may be being unfair, but it felt like the times where it did go long was from him and he was under a bit of pressure. And that's not to say he can't defend because there were other times where he read the you know, he read the game well and he was there to mop up. But I think if we're trying to be able to say anyone in that team can have the ball at their feet, not be too packed and play a bit of football, he does kind of look like he's the odd number out versus his teammates. Yeah, tend to agree. Um, the one thing I would say is that I think Andrew Costa has shown over the course of his career an ability to adapt to different roles. I feel on the whole that he has earned the right for our patience. He's a guy that's, over the course of his Aberdeen career, been conditioned, I think, believe that as soon as you get the ball, route one is where you're going. Let's give the guy a little bit of time. I think he's got the ability to do it. For a couple of seasons, we were told he wasn't a left-back. and He played quite well there. Um, so yeah, there's a guy who can learn and develop. Um, I think you're right. He, he's been in a team that has not been encouraged to play the way we want to play. So that doesn't mean he can't. It might just mean he might take a bit of time. I mean, we were talking last week about Ojo. We weren't so sure where does Ojo fit in. Obviously, he was loaned out. And actually, I thought he was quite good today. He was kind of everywhere. So there's a guy that just because we thought he wasn't very good doesn't mean he wasn't very good. He just was playing in a way that didn't suit him. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I would love to see him given the time. You know, if a couple of, day, a couple of games time, he's maybe still perceived to be that weak link. That's different. But... Um, He's had a number of seasons playing away that he might not be required to play now. So I think he, you're absolutely right. He's he's earned that time and that opportunity to prove that he can uh, 
fit into what Stephen Glass wants. You're right. He's he's demonstrated through his career that he's able to adapt, and I hope he can adapt to it. But I just wonder if this might be one stretch, just that little bit too far for the guy. But let's wait and see. You're right. He's kind of earned the right to 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 have that time to see if he can do it or not. So let's see what happens. Interestingly, I'm going to move on to to Ojo because you just spoke about him just now. I think we'd all agree, pretty solid performance by um <clears throat> by Ojo today, especially coming off the back of that howler of a miss on Thursday night, which would have been very easy for a player to kind of disappear into their shell a little bit. But I do wonder if um, the performance of Jack McKenzie today at left back has perhaps pushed Funzo Ojo out of the team once Ryan Hedges is fit. Funzo could easily have dropped his head today um, after that miss. And there was a lot of chat along Twitter about the, whether he was suitable for that role. I thought Funzo was great today um, in terms of both his play off the ball. I think he did some great pressing as the game was going on, he was making a lot of very intelligent runs for both Ramsey and I think um, Ramirez, just in terms of creating space. Ojo could be very proud of his performance today. I think we're all hoping that the knock at the end of the game maybe just impact injury. I think the sense I get from the team and the glass um, dynamic is that no player is guaranteed his spot in the team. So they will all know that no matter what, they need to perform each and every game. It's not a case of if Hedges is fit for next game, Ojo's out no matter what. I think, you know, that will be up to Ojo to show up in training and in his performances. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I thought he was he was good and he was just sort of all over the pitch. But if your options were Ojo or Hedges, a sort of prime Hedges and a prime Ojo, it's difficult to see why Ryan Hedges wouldn't play in that team. I think, I mean, they're different players, aren't they, at the end of the day? I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where Hedges is fit and he's not playing because he's probably still our most creative player with the ball at his feet, I would suggest. Um, and I thought the, re- the reason I've asked the question about whether this whether this might push Ojo out is because I think everybody would agree, and I think Johnny Hayes would agree, Johnny didn't have particularly fine games in either leg of the Hecken um, tie. For me, he's he's not a left-back. Um, and and there, I, for me, there was doubts whether he should be in the team today if Hedges and Co. had been fit. I would have liked to see McKenzie get the start, which he did. But I thought Hayes had a great game today. For me, it was a real statement of attempt from Johnny Hayes that he's still got a role to play at this club. Yeah, I think um, people who maybe know me, I'm an absolute sucker for nostalgia. So it was nice to see sort of Johnny Hayes wind back the clock, if you like, you know, forward position and on a purely personal level. First game back at Bataudry after goodness was how long with my friends, Johnny Hayes song. I don't really know if there's much more I could have asked for. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. I thought he played well. Um, I think, it, like you say, Gavin, it was a bit of a statement of intent. Hopefully that means he, may, he might solidify his place in the team. And then I think the dynamic of the team looks quite exciting if you think about it. Hayes on one side and Hedges on the other side. And that's why I wonder whether Osho might drift out of the team from that perspective. But I think centre of the park, I don't think there's a huge amount to say about Scott Brown that's not already been said. Lewis Ferguson as well thought was excellent today. Didn't really have to do anything particularly flashy. Didn't have to do anything particularly spectacular, but it did what Lewis Ferguson does. A pretty solid 7 out of 10 kind of performance. Um, puts a lovely little dink through ball for Johnny Hayes' goal. Solid performance in the two midfield. Still, I were talking about this afterwards, and like, I say this with the absolute respect for Peter Paul that he deserves for what he did for Aberdeen and the chant and everything. Today, Peter Pollitt's direct opponent with Scott Brown, and Peter Pollitt has never, nor ever will be, built to play Scott Brown one-on-one. You could see the difference in them. 
I've got a friend at work uh, who's a Celtic supporter. He said about Scott Brown that Scott Brown might have been overrated by Celtic fans, but he was underrated by everyone else. And now that we can see him up close and personal in an Aberdeen shirt, I'm in no doubt that this is going to be one of the biggest signs we've made. Yeah, I think that's all fair, Mike. Obviously, I have to do the pessimist here. That's my nature. I think he's 36. It'll be interesting to see how much of a season he can play. And if he's not playing, who who plays in that position? But on the other hand, you're kind of hoping if he gets through, you know, 10, 15 games and he's playing, he's obviously imparted what he knows on the likes of Lewis Ferguson, you know, in matches and in training, such that these guys are sort of elevated from where they would have been um, last season and without him such that, you know, if, he, if Scott Byrne has to take a break for a couple of games or whatever, these guys have learned enough that it's not so much, you know, it's not it's not a big deal. Um, they've learned enough, they're streetwise enough, because I think it's probably fair to say we've not been a particularly streetwise team over the last few seasons. Um, I don't think any of us are a big fan of cheating, but there's a way to play the game that everyone else plays and there's a way to play the game that the referees like to sort of referee. So I feel like we've been missing that. And if Scott Brown can impart some of that when he's maybe not around, that's probably to the benefit of everyone. Look up the pitch. I don't think that was Jets' finest game today. I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah, no, that's quite fair enough. However, his strike partner, where's number nine? <laughs> Scores all the time. Christian Ramirez. I actually thought Ramirez had a relatively quiet game. Hey, he scored a goal. That's all I want. Uh, absolutely. I think the guy's work rate is superb. Um, and in and, and fairness to Jet, I thought actually we saw a bit more work rate from Jet today as well, actually, than, than we had done in the hecking game. Um, but, you know, Ramirez was, was putting defenders under pressure when they had the ball at their feet, not really giving them a huge amount of time on the ball, making them have to kind of get rid of the ball um, in, in areas they maybe didn't want to have to do it. Won a few headers here and there. Couple of nice flicks here and there. It was a it was a slightly quieter game, I thought. But at the end of the day, like you say, Gav, he gets himself in the right position. Great header, an absolutely fantastic header. Um, especially when you consider that United miss a chance very similar to that right on halftime, and you see the difference in 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 quality. I think between the two sides just there. As much of a tool as Charlie Mulgrew undoubtedly is, he is probably technically one of the better centre halves in the country. It shows what can happen when you've got a striker who will maybe pick his battles and you know he won't press all the time because if you do that, then you're going to be exhausted. But we saw instances when Ramirez would just press Mulgrew in the times when it was appropriate. And you see, it makes a difference. The guy will make a mistake. He'll put him under pressure. He'll play the ball he doesn't want to play. And off the back of that, you then see our midfielders will, will then pick up the ball in those dangerous areas. Yeah, it felt like um, we, we retained the ball reasonably well, but we retained it higher up the pitch. And I think a lot of that down was down to, um, you know, Ramirez and Jet even just having two up front to sort of hassle defenders. And there were a few examples where, you know, Mulgrew, yeah, everyone's got their opinion, but he's a tidy footballer. You can't get away from that. And Ramirez closing him down and he just shells it in the touch and straight away to throw in. But sort of more... More than that, to try to watch him, I feel like um, over the the way the season progresses, he had plenty of decent runs, 
and hopefully his teammates kind of you know get a feel for right if we've got the ball in this position he's going to be making a run and I'm not talking about just shelling it at the channels like we've maybe seen before I feel like there's something a bit more there if his you know if his teammates kind of caught on to what he's doing we've got a better option um than you know than obviously just shelling it from before his work rate was good obviously getting a goal in your first league game has to be good for the confidence and I think it's probably fair to say well life footballers strikers in particular it's all about confidence so a first league goal he's got to be in sort of the highest confidence that he can possibly he's got a chant which he acknowledged I feel like everything's all set up for hopefully him to actually do a bit of damage in the league with the chat we had with Adol Stavrim last week you know goals for, for strikers mean everything and Ramirez is now, well, two goals in three games, two for two at Batodre. I thought he did well just in the game generally. I mean, Dundee United were pretty physical today, pretty niggly, I thought. Um, so if anyone was like unsure about how he might adapt to Scottish football and, you know, the physicality of it, I don't think you get that. Well, you, you I, I'm not going to say you don't. I don't think you get that. You, you do not get that type of physicality in the MLS. And I thought he stood up well to it. Um, so signs are good there, I think, as far as that goes. I've I've reserved these two to, to the end and I think deservedly so. I think our fullbacks today, um, Jack McKenzie and, and Calvin Ramsey, I think deserve all the plaudits in the world. And I know that Calvin Ramsey is going to get the, the majority of them, but I thought Jack McKenzie was 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 really good today at left back. If anything, I was surprised. Um I saw afterwards that Calvin Ramsey got the um Aberdeen mile of the match. I thought Jack McKenzie earned it. I thought it was great. Um so, so, just so pleasing to see these two young guys coming in and just making these positions for their own. If Glass was coming to see some things, maybe he needed like one experienced player versus one young player um, on the fullback um, positions. Mackenzie's taken that out of his hands today. He was outstanding, um, both in his tenacity and his ability to get forward. And as for Ramsey, it's an amazing cross for the goal. I think he may be tired towards the end of the game, which is natural for a 17-turned-18-year-old off the back of three very intense matches. Uh, I don't know, I mean, how you guys thought maybe that might convince Glass to opt for maybe some changes in Thursday coming, in terms of maybe Jack Gurr getting some minutes. I'm not sure. I, I think he'll go with what he perceives to be his strongest 11 next week, uh, on, sorry, on Thursday night. I, I think the whole team tired a little bit with... 30 minutes, 20 minutes to go. I think you could see it, but they were kind of able just to play that game out and take the foot off the gas, I think. Um, United, well, before we talk about United, just on Calvin Ramsey for me, a great performance. Gav, you're right, I think McKenzie did really well and I, I think his performance shouldn't be overlooked at all. Ramsey will get all the headlines and, and deservedly so. The dummy he sells, Mark Reynolds, in the run-up to the goal is outrageous. And it was almost a bit sorry to see a guy like Mark Reynolds have, you know, have to suffer that. You'd much rather it was a Ricky Foster or something like that being on the receiving end of that. But it was great stuff. And the cross was perfect. I mean, Ramirez still has to put it away, but for a number nine there, you, you almost can't miss that. It was great. And it's so positive to see, to have two players in those roles now who look comfortable in those roles, who look like modern fullbacks, willing to get up the line, got good energy, and they've come through the youth setup. It's it's great stuff, and just fingers crossed they can keep that up for for most of the season. I think we we would all recognise that for young players, there's going to be ups and downs. 
um, as we go through the course of the season. But hey, the, the, the signs are really promising for those two. Yeah, I think that's all absolutely spot on. You're right. The young guys, they step up from, you know, sort of that that level below the SPFL they've been playing at. Um, they're going to tire, but the physical piece will come. The young guys to work hard. They'll get trained. It's a real statement of intent, I think, from the manager that these guys started today. Um, it's a home game. It's a league. You know, we were we were talking about last week in particular. Our record against Dundee United was absolutely horrific. Um, the fact that these guys started kind of says to me that, you know, it's their positions to lose. And yes, they're bound to have a dip in form. Um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. These guys are learning. But I don't think anyone can not enjoy seeing a couple of youth graduates progress to the first team in tandem on each side of the pitch and pretty much look like they should be there. I mean, we've we've seen the youth team over the past 10, 15 years being used as a sort of panic stations, stopgap filler. These guys genuinely look like, you know, what we've seen to date, that they've progressed from the youth team into the first team and they should be in the first team. It's it's really exciting to watch. I thought they were both excellent considering. And it's not just about being young and having that sort of energy and the fitness, you know, and the, and the pace. There was a couple of times where, um, obviously, sort of in the second half and their attack in the red shed, it felt like McKenzie's reading of the game was good. He's there before the, before the opposition player is. He's there to just put the ball out of play. And that's not just being young and having more pace than an older counterpart. That's just whether it's been coached through the game or he, you know, a good understanding of the game. He's in the right place at the right time. And I think we would probably all agree that's harder to teach than maybe some players we've watched over the last few years who can get there for a couple of seasons because they're quick. But once the pace goes, they don't really know where they should be. Um, and then it all sort of falls apart. This guy looks like he knows what he should be doing. I guess that's something also that Scott Brown is going to bring to us. Everything that you read and hear about Scott Brown is that he treats every day as it's like his, his last game. And that goes to every training session, what you read about and hear about with our players. Um, and if he's going to bring that kind of intensity to every day, it's only going to rub off on our guys. Now, but it sounds like he's got more sensibility than, you know, Wayne Rooney, two-footing is only set in the fielder. But he's still going to bring that kind of intensity to the training ground where the guys naturally are just, they know they have to be on their A game every day. Otherwise, it's going to get shown up. And that can only, that can only, you know, breed good habits into our young players as far as just, you know, as far as just knowing what they need to bring every single match. And as you say, that's, that's what I saw from McKenzie. That's what I saw from Ramsey. And hopefully that's what we see from everyone that comes, comes to Aberdeen for the next couple of years. So, I mean, what did we think we really got out of these last two, the last two games? What, what did you think we learned out of them? I don't know about you guys, but for me, watching on the, uh, the stream on Thursday and watching up close and personal today, we've got a more enjoyable team to watch. I think it's fair to say that the philosophy, in inverted commas, is starting to, to develop and we're starting to see, to see signs of it um, coming through. I think Thursday night, I think, was, a, was, was an odd match. I think it's, it's hard to kind of really take too much out of that other than we got through, and that was the main thing. Today as well, I think it was a bit of an odd one for me because I, 
I'm struggling to to read too much into it because I thought Dundee United were absolutely horrendous. I remember like we went to watch a game. It was the first match of the season when um, Rodney Schneider made his debut and we won 1-0. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And that day, I remember coming away from thinking that United are in real trouble this season. Today, having come away from that match, um, I mean, how long do we have to wait for Shanklin to be pretty ineffective at this level? If he's their best chance and they think to themselves that Charlie Mulgrew is going to score an inordinate amount of goals for a centre-back, they're in trouble. Apparently, it's just an absolute shambles of a club behind the scenes. I think the American owner is quite distant. It looks like a squad's very light. I saw a very negative team today against yourself, ourselves, who I would say our strengths lie in our attacking play, but you can get at us as a defensive unit. And they sat back and played into our hands. I'm not going to go into too deep a dive on Dundee United because who gives a shit? But for a team at Dundee United, they've had a week, a week and a bit off, I think, since they played their last League Cup match. We've had, you know, certainly a game on Thursday night, playing Thursday, Sunday. We don't have a particularly big squad. You could see we were tiring in that last 30 minutes. I mean, I would have thought of a, I would have thought for a, a team at Dungeon Egg coming up here, well-rested, having done a job on us all last season, they would have come up here with a bit more of an attacking intent, I think, and maybe try and grab a goal early, and then maybe try and sit in and try and frustrate and try and stifle. And I saw none of that today. So it makes it a little bit difficult, I think, to, to gauge quite where we are, because I don't think we had to get out of second gear pleasing part is that United came in and sat in a formation on a system that probably a lot of teams will this year and under previous man over the last two three years we probably would have played into their hands and today it was a diff- completely different approach it's a hugely encouraging sign for Aberdeen as far as I'm concerned um, just the sheer comfort that we had in today and also what I saw in terms of our movement in terms of our creativity, in terms of playing out from the back. And I know some people will find it a little bit um, disconcerting, watching maybe a Constant or a McCrory trying to find feet. But that's part of what we're going to be now. And clearly the stats will show this is this will be beneficial to Aberdeen over the long run. Today, yeah, for me, a hugely encouraging step forward as far as Aberdeen goes. We talked about last year, last week. With Hecken, we can theorise over what they were. Today, we know what Dundee did bring. Yeah, I think um, three points versus, I think we discussed last week, uh, no points or a couple of points against Dundee United last, last season, so that's improving. The only thing that I probably am a little bit concerned about when you look at the bench, uh, you know, we, I think we were talking about during the match, um, Ramirez goes off, says something happens to Jet. I, I'm not sure who who obviously steps into that. Well, maybe a little bit light in defence, but you could flip up your, for, your formation. Um, you know, you've got Woods is fine for Lewis. I'm not too sure where the coverage is for the forward players. There's still a whole transfer window to go. So you kind of think the management team's working on that. <clears throat> Graham, you kind of stole my thunder a bit. The, the, the biggest thing I think I still take away from the two games is I think we're still light predominantly in attack. You saw on Thursday night when Jet went off injured. We're going to really struggle if Jet or Ramirez suffers an injury and there's nothing in there to back up. I think especially if Ramirez has an injury because I I don't think you could have Jet as your number nine. So that's a concern. And I still think maybe a bit of a concern um, probably at centre-back. I think still we'll maybe look a little bit light in there. 
we're one or two injuries away from being a real struggle in that position. Um, our WhatsApp group knows what I think about Michael Devlin. So um, I don't think he's the answer to if we need someone to step in. So I mean, maybe that's something that Steve Lass needs to look at in the transfer market. I'll give you guys a laugh. You maybe haven't seen this yet, but um, Tam Courts, the, the Dundee Wright manager, um, after the game came out and believed that they edged the game and um, believed that they could have scored at least two or three goals. Um, if he wants to show his working on that one, then yeah, fair play. Yeah, definitely. So uh, uh, speaking about fantasy football, obviously we've got the ABZFP League on the old Fantasy Football Scotland uh, app at the moment. So just having a quick look at the leaderboard, good week for uh, Ramirez's Rams. That's fantastic to be fair. Yeah, Conlon Smart with 100 points. Uh, Frazwas FC, Adam Fraser in second spot. And then Hardly Athletic, which I think uh, maybe he's aptly describing Charlie Mulgrew there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Robbie Marshall, 95 points. So that, that those three lads uh, doing all right. But having a wee look at Ramirez's Rams team, yeah, there's at least two of them in it. So he'll be subject to a 500-point deduction come the end of the season. Make sure you join the league if you can. You'll find us on the main landing page on the uh, Fantasy Football Scotland app. Well, maybe just add, we're one game in and obviously we're discussing the set of the Dons and we may or may not make predictions, but for those of you who are in the Fantasy Football League, you may or may not want to choose the same players as Bumblebee's FC. If you have a wee look at the table, you realise that will not work out too well for you. <laughs> So a quick look around just some of the other news that came out with Audrey in the last week. So I think the big one that came out was obviously the announcement from uh, Dave Cormack and Neil Simpson in the piss and rain in Gothenburg on Thursday morning that uh, the club have finally decided to get around to commissioning a, a statue of Sir Alex Ferguson, which will go outside the Richard Donald stand. Uh, a hugely fitting, very appropriate um, announcement. I think you can all safely say that Alex Ferguson is one of, if not the most significant members of the uh, alumni of Aberdeen Football Club. And uh, this is something that's been, um, we've been waiting for. It comes back to something I said about Darren McInnes. Um, prior to McInnes coming in, I think managers have shirked away or just outright ignored our history. And that's not right. It's something to be hugely proud of. And I'm glad that Dave Bormack and the board have decided to celebrate it in such a fitting way and hopefully this is the first of many many commissions that will come about in terms of um, celebrating that we're Aberdeen fans we'll probably say this and I don't care what anyone else says it's the greatest achievement in the history of Scottish football absolutely no completely agreed let's just hope that the club commission a, a sculptor who can you know isn't doing a Cristiano Ronaldo statue or anything like that and we end up with I don't know Alec Baldwin or something I would be quite delighted with an actual resemblance. And following off that, I think it was on the same day the club announced that the search for our new head of recruitment has um, come to a, an end as well now with the appointment of Darren Mowbray coming in from Burnley, I think it was he's, he's coming in from. So Tony's younger brother, I believe, not much of a playing career, but he's worked his way through a few clubs now down south and um, <clears throat> was recently within the recruitment team at Burnley, who I think it's probably fair to say Burnley are probably a side you look at who recruit relatively well they don't spend a lot of money but they've recruited well enough to keep themselves in the in the Premier League in England on that budget so it'd be interesting to see what sort of approach Darren Mobe brings to to things at Pataudry as long as Darren wasn't involved in the uh, recruitment of Amandou Conte to Tony Mowbray's hips team then uh, I think we can all safely say that we're uh, we'll embrace this um, arrival oh that is the same Amandou Conte that Gary once said and I quote not a bad player by the way 
prior before shelling went over the Merkin stand, if, if I do remember correctly. Yeah, so on that note, I think we're going to take a short break. Join us after the break for a preview of our Europa Conference League qualifying round three tie with Breitablik. And we'll have a look ahead to our first SPFL away day at Livingston. So to play us out for the first half, here's Aberdeen band C's Starry with None the Wiser taken from their latest release, The Anatomy EP. Check out C's Starry at c'sstarry.bandcamp.com or follow them on Twitter at C's Starry.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Maritime Developments Limited. MDL have recently relocated to new headquarters in West Hill, the aptly named Maritime House on Discovery Drive. The team at MDL are keen to welcome visitors around for a long overdue face-to-face catch-up. With plenty of hand sanitizer on standby and excellent coffee, it'll be worth the visit. So give them a shout on hello at maritimedevelopments.com or visit their website at www.maritimedevelopments.com for more details. Hello and welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, the glorious thing about the Europa Conference League and the way in which the rounds work is that we're already working about three rounds ahead of ourselves at any given opportunity. So for the last two weeks, we've been scrambling around trying to find either an Icelandic expert on football or an Austrian expert on football. And it's probably fair to say, I think, that most people in the Aberdeen support would have guessed we'd have been playing Austria-Vienna in qualifying round number three. But fair fucks to Breithablik from Iceland a 3-2 aggregate victory over Austria-Vienna means that we'll be travelling to Reykjavik. We're going to play in the National Stadium, which will be seen to where Aberdeen played our first ever away tie in Europe against KR Reykjavik in 1967, where we take on Breitha Blick this Thursday night in the first leg of the Europa Conference League qualifying round three. So to get the lowdown on the Dons opposition, Graham and I spoke to Jovar Olofsson from Iceland's biggest daily newspaper. He's the roving journalist who reports on all Breitha Blick's games. And this is what Jovar had to say. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. Jovar, how are you doing? Fine, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we were hoping just to get pick your brains, I guess, about all things Breithablik in the, in the run-up to Thursday night's Europa Conference League qualifying round three tie between Aberdeen and Breithablik. So, I mean, just getting straight down to things, I mean, from us looking from the outside... Breitha Blig certainly appear to be a club well-renowned in Iceland for developing young Icelandic talent. And there's certainly a number of recognisable names, I guess you would say there, that have started their career with Breitha Blig. As you say, uh, Breitha Blig is, is known from probably the, the largest and the best academy in, in Iceland. And actually in, in, the, in the second game against Austria Wien, they had eight, eight homegrown players in the starting lineup. I think that provides quite an interesting parallel, I think, with Aberdeen now as well. That's certainly the 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 move that we're making as a club now is certainly to 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 go back to looking at our youth setup and making sure we're bringing players through. And certainly um, last week in, uh, in the games against uh, Biki Hecken from Sweden, there were a number of homegrown uh, young Scottish players in the team have come through the Aberdeen setup, and it's certainly something we're moving towards. So, I guess uh, Breitha Blake obviously qualified for the uh, Europa Conference League this year by virtue of finishing fourth in last season's Urvasta League, and and that season was curtailed, wasn't it, because of uh, because of COVID nineteen? Yeah, we played, played only what, what eighteen or 19, 19 games because of COVID, and and probably could have gone higher, but but Waller was. They, they wouldn't have champions, but they they might have got, got gone gone a bit bit higher in in, in, the, in the league. But Breivik is is a team who is uh, almost, almost always trying to be be champions, but they have only one one time become Iceland champion and have won cup. So they are our team who are, are 
most common in like two, two or second or third or fourth or fourth place is a, is a normal place for Pelvic to, to be in. Yeah, in that kind of top four kind of area. Yeah. Because I saw they'd had a yeah. couple of second place finishes, I think, in 2018 and 2019 as well. So as you say, a team who are very used to being at the at the top end of the of the league. And currently they're um, sitting fourth in the in the Uruvels de Lide as well. Although as we're speaking to you, they've just kicked off against uh, Viking or Reykjavik, who are second at the moment, and Umbrelabic can go third if they if they win. Looking from the outside, it, it doesn't appear as though there's been very much transfer activity in or out from Breithablik from last season? They're, they're used to, like, as I said, two or three players going from them in Eravento, and that, that maybe has uh, disturbed them in, 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 in competing about the acting champion because they, they always have one or two key players going from them. And so this is, um, is Breithablik's seventh season in, in European competition, uh, and so far, have have never progressed beyond the third qualifying round of any of the uh, tournaments that they've entered, and and, and that came in uh, twenty thirteen, where they had a fantastic result in qualifying round two of the Europa League against Sturm Graz, um, but yeah. were unfortunately then eliminated in 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 the following round by uh, Aktobi of of Kazakhstan, and also have got a notable home win against Rosenberg in in qualifying round two of the Champions League back in twenty eleven, which is I guess a notable result in in. In, in their history I guess in terms of playing Scottish opposition there is a bit of familiarity you you, you played Motherwell in uh, qualifying mm-hmm. round two in, in 2010 in the Europa League but lost out both ties 1-0 to exit uh, 2-0 on aggregate so uh, Braithoblick obviously have a, a reasonable amount of recent European experience um, mm-hmm. now obviously they've made it through to qualifying round three of, of the Europa Conference League this year by virtue of uh, defeating Racing Luxembourg 5-2 on aggregate and qualifying round one. And that was followed up, and you touched on it earlier on, by a, a huge victory against Austria Wien uh, last week, 3-2 on aggregate, a, a 2-1 victory at home. Was that uh, victory a, a surprise to Breithoblik themselves that they came through that round? And, and how's that result been received in Iceland? I think the teams in, in last years hasn't been doing so well in Europe. So, so we have to we have to uh, say that the, the, the win against the Austrian was a big surprise. Maybe not a, not not a shock, but obviously a surprise that not only the win, because also how they won the game. Because the, the, the both games, as I saw the the game in in Kobo or and was the live score in 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 Wien. The both games were where Austria Wien wasn't the better side. Uh, maybe they, they, they pressed a little bit in, in the second game, obviously, because they had to, to score the goal. But Breitblik had a similar position, they had similar shots, they had uh, they were pressing and they were not playing uh, normal Icelandic style in Europe, which is 10 men behind the ball and, and counter attacks and, and you know, your corners and, and, and throw ins and, and etc. Breitblik wants to keep possession. They want to press high. That has, hasn't been, been going well because uh, against Rosenborg, Rosenborg was just the better side. They, they, they could outrun them. And, uh, but now probably could, could, you know, run with Austria Wien. And that, that was the most, most surprise for me, how, how uh, the steps Breitblik has taken in, 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 in one or two, two years because they hadn't uh, any chance against Rosenborg last time they, they played in Europe. So 
yeah, I mean, I think it was probably perceived as being quite a, a surprising result across Europe. Certainly, I think for Aberdeen fans, when the draw came out, um, that, that we would play uh, Austria Wien or, or Breda Blake, I think most people assumed it would be, we, we would be heading for Vienna. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it was a pretty well-received result in Iceland. The Kauer and Waller and, and, and the teams who have gone to Europe, they have been losing like four or five and six or seven nulls. So, so it was also, yeah, for, for our pride as an Icelandic uh, uh, because you know our league is not so 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 great, not the greatest ranked in 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 the coefficient in in UEFA, and, and we have been yeah taking a, a big losses. So that was a was a great for for just Iceland football, not just for Bradley, just for Iceland football because we have we have been sucking lower and lower in the, that that area. You know, for like ten years ago, we had you're going to like second or third. Round, but now we have been just losing heavily in, in the first round, so it was just good for Iceland football. So following on from from the result uh, last week, and obviously the way you've described um, how they played, the confidence is presumably quite high at the moment. What what are the aspirations for the tournament? Is it a case of each game we're just happy to get further and further, or is there a view that we should be getting to the group stages? That's what everyone's after. As I say, we. The same was against Austria-Wien. No one thought that we would win Austria-Wien. So I think they will not go afraid, or they will not not they will not change their uh, playing style. They, they will want to have the position. They will t- try to press your team, and they will, will try to win it. And they they believe they can win it. But obviously, they know that Aberdeen is, is a professional club. Republic is is a semi-pro club, so so Aberdeen should win. But I would say that the coaches picked like 60-40 percentage of, of going further, but there has been a dream of Icelandic clubs going to group stages in, in, in Europa League or Conference League as well. I guess you kind of touched on it briefly, Hjovar. I mean, how how do Breithablik view Aberdeen as, as an opponent? What are what are they expecting from Aberdeen, do you think? They are, they are expecting a pro, pro team, you know, I think they're not expecting a typical Scottish team, as you say. Scottish football has progressed. They 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 like they're not not the old kick and run football. They they they, not, they know that the Scottish football has has progressed. They they know you have, uh, as you say, uh, you know, exciting Scottish players. They they know that Aberdeen should win, and and they they know that it will be a tough match. But I I think that, that you know. At, at, at some stages, some Icelandic clubs went to Europe just to have fun and and, and hope for the best. Probably because it's not in that agenda. They they're trying to go go farther, so they will know that it will be a difficult match. But they think they'll they believe they can can go forward and they can can go through. So, in terms of um, Breithwick, how would you describe the style of football that they're currently playing? This, they, they like to uh, take them back. They, they like to uh, try to, uh, they like to uh, manage the game with the ball. National League, they, they can do it, but I'm not sure they'll be able to do it against Aberdeen. But they, they will, they will not, they will not, as I said, they will not play play typical Icelandic national team football with with ten men behind the ball and and and, and long long kicks. You you will see. What can I say? Europe, European style of football. They like to keep the ball. They like to uh, 
as I said, play from the back. And then that, that's at the same time is their strength and their weakness because we have players there who are not used to it and, and, and not maybe, you know, in, in, in this level against team against like a team that if, if, if it goes good, it's, it's really uh, nice to see it and, and they can create a lot of chances and, and score goals from that. But also, it, it you know, their, their goalkeeper is not has not much international uh, experience and and uh, the, the back four is is probably the players who who not gonna gone abroad and uh, have not much international experience so it's a it's a gamble they're playing which can be good and, and and can go bad so so a more a more patient approach than uh, sort of like you were talking about you know kick and run um, it's more trying to actually control the game and find the weak spots in the opposition rather than um, yeah. Hoping that we can't break you down. Of course, they, they, they will try to uh, the corners, and but there will not be long throw-ins and and, and that that type of football. You know that that, that, that they are more patient with the ball and, and like to like to keep the ball in the in, in the side. So yeah, it's, it's expect a, a team who, who who likes to keep the ball in in the side. Interestingly, actually, Aberdeen this season are are certainly trying to adopt a much more expansive style of football as well and I think from what you've said there it sounds as though it could be actually quite a good game of football to watch for the neutral if both teams are going to try and play football it's not going to be two teams trying to launch the ball up the pitch and, and see what we can do in terms of like setup what what sort of setup do Braith and Blake usually go for formation wise they go for four through three with okay. one one deep builder and two, two runners as you say two, two midfielders they, they like to the backs like to go, go high up on the field. You know the left back and, and the right back. Both both backs are, are good uh, in 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 attacking. So so they they like to go, the wingers play play, play uh, you know go in, in, inside that and, and get the ball in, in the spaces over there. Actually, they also considered the goal, which was more of a gift in, in, in the last uh, league game of this and then the goalkeeper just kicked it to the opponent players so they have been as I say it's a gamble they're playing and, and as I say they, the players are not used to it and they, they maybe have not the, the quality you, you need to to, to, be, to be playing that kind of football but the coaches are just stubborn and, and want to play that that kind of football so we like it here in Iceland because because we we, we are a bit tired on on seeing football played, you know, hope, hoping for the best and the log kicks and the throw-ins. So, of course, we liked it when Iceland and national team was was doing good. But we are we are hoping that that the Iceland clubs and and the national team can, can progress and, and play, as I say, more European style of football. But they, they play, as I say, they, they can also play three four three, but but then. Then the wingers just just play play like the left back and and, and right back. So so they play either four three three or three four three. But I would I would think they'll play four three three because they they're more 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 used to doing that. But so so I would I I would think they would play four three three against Aberdeen. Who are the um who are the danger men in the Breithablik team that Aberdeen supporters should be looking out for and, and be wary of? Do you think? So we have. A player named Alton Williamson, who, who has been playing 
both in Scandinavia and Eastern Europe, which is our, our their, their forward. Maybe these two players, also PCA also, who is the player who wants to get the ball in the spaces and, and create create something. See that the the game's actually been moved um, from their home stadium to the national stadium, uh, which means it's gone from the synthetic pitch to the grass pitch. That, that makes a difference because probably is is is. You, you can see if Preblitz is, is is playing on natural grass or artificial grass. They, they 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 try to do the same things, but they are they are background artificial grass. They they are trying to get uh, get get uh, UFA to to play in Copa shortly, but I, I'm not sure they they will they, they will get that. So so as I say, thousand thousand persons allowed to to go to go to the game. That will not be as compact and as 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 fun, but but if you say something, you, have, you just have to have to have to yeah alter them. So so, but I, I would have liked to see see the game go on in Cobor because because that's a, a lovely ground. You know, maybe not not you know it, it had to do with floodlights and stuff like that. So, but yeah, they are they are better on artificial ground, but but they will not change their. Uh, Philosophy or, or playing style or something like that, but they're they're just used to play artificial grass and, and they they play better there. So, but they can play play, play on natural grass, so, and and their their playing style will not change so much with that change. The the game being moved to the national stadium actually holds quite a lot of significance for um for Aberdeen, um because that's the scene of Aberdeen's first ever away game in Europe. Um, in, in 1967, we played the uh, KR Reykjavik. Ah, that's, that's Yeah, I wasn't going to put you on the, on the spot, but yeah, so it holds quite a lot of significance for us because, as I say, it's, um, you know, like I say, it's, it's the first um, first away game Aberdeen ever had and, and Europe was, was in that stadium. So it'll be nice for us to go back and, in a way this conference league trip so far for Aberdeen has been quite historical we um, returned to Gothenburg in the last round the scene of our, uh, our our most special night as a football club when we beat Real Madrid in the in the cup winners cup in, in 1983 so that was special and disappointing as well for the supporters that we couldn't make that trip to Gothenburg it's a, a it's a it's a place that's got a lot of uh, a special place in, in in a lot of Aberdonians hearts I, I think what's an interesting piece and I noticed obviously that Bradley Baker playing tonight and then the first round is against ourselves is on Thursday. That's quite a quick turnaround for Breitha Blick to have to play two games in the space of, of, of four days. Was there any reason why that has happened? And I think the reason is uh, that we got uh, games postponed in, in the start of the league because of COVID. So, so I think they just couldn't postpone any, any, any more games. Actually, they're pl- playing now on a day which is normally not played in, which is a holiday in Iceland. They're not, not tra- traveling weekend, so so normally we don't play in, in this weekend. But I, I I think there has been a much discussion in Icelandic football uh, society about uh, you know giving giving clubs more time to yeah for, for the European games to 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 to. Uh, and not be, be, be playing in Athens Liga, but, but I think that just wasn't possible in this this 
at this time. Yeah, I mean, and do you think that might have an effect on the game on Thursday? Just uh, you, you said, obviously, Braith and Blick are a semi-professional team. That's a number of games in very quick succession at a high level, obviously playing uh, Austria Wien on Thursday, playing Monday and yeah. then playing Thursday again. That's quite a lot for a semi-pro club to, to, to potentially have to deal with. You know, in the game, in, actually in the game tonight, the, the, the Alton Williamson is not playing, they're, they're resting him. So, so the, I think they're, of course, they want to win the game tonight, but I think they're 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 thinking about the Aberdeen game over there. So, so if, if in, in a normal week, Aberdeen would have played that game. So, of course, they, they have to rotate some. But actually, Bradley has one of the largest groups in in, in Icelandic league, and they are they are really fit. So, the playing style they have to be fit. So, I don't think it would be much trouble. But of course, they would like to have more days to recover from the Australian game and maybe play, play this game against Wittenberg anytime later but, but I don't think it would have a much effect on the game they will be they will be fit Excellent Jovar thank you very much for joining us here on the ABZ Football Podcast we really appreciate it for giving us the lowdown on Breithoblick good evening thank you Thank you So Graham, obviously earlier today the playoff round draw for the Europa Conference League was also made. We all don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We've got a huge tie against Breithablik coming up that we've just been speaking to Hilvar Olofsson about. But looking at that draw, what are your initial thoughts? Nothing's going to be easy, obviously, and we're not there. But of the options available, when you, when you look through the list, um, they're probably the two, certainly two of the teams that jump out in terms of if you could pick your draw, um, you'd probably be focusing in on them. Uh, obviously, there are some sort of genuine household names on that list that you'd you'd want to avoid. Um, so it's probably about as good as we could have hoped for, I would say. Yeah, I think you tend to agree. I think when you look through the list of the potential opponents we could have got at this stage, um, notwithstanding when they narrowed into the smaller pots, um, as they did uh, Saturday night, I think, when everyone started to get a bit of information about it. But when you see some of the names who are seeds for for this round or who would, you'd expect to come through qualifying round three because they are the seeds. There's some big names in there, obviously Roma. Spurs were one of the teams that we could have potentially drawn today because they were in our mini group. You know, Copenhagen, Ghent, uh, Stadron. Could have been a reunion with Fraser Hornby if we'd drawn those guys. Partizan, Belgrade. You know, I think on the face of it, when the, the potential opponents came out, personally, I think I narrowed in on... The, two of the ties that were taking place in qualifying round three is that would be the dream and they were the winner of Coupes Copia against Astana or I think AEL Limassol against Carabag and we've managed to luck out might be the wrong phrase here because we can't see what will happen in a few weeks time providing we get through the tie against Breithablik but I feel that in recent seasons Lady Luck's not been on our side when it comes to getting draws yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I kind of uh, imagined in my head that if we were to progress, you know, the, ne- the next couple of games, you think, well, that's really good. And then you get hit with a, a Roma or something like that. Um, and that's, you know, that's probably the end of that. Um, if we are able to actually um, negotiate the next couple of games and, and get into that next round, that's as good a chance as you're ever going to get is how it feels to me. Completely agree with that. So it'd be interesting to see how the club decide to view that, I think, because... In comparison to recent rounds, recent ties we've had, um, 
in terms of qualifying round three, I think the, the tie against Breitablik is as good a tie as we could have drawn. Notwithstanding, I, th- I still think it'll be a, a tricky tie and we need to be professional and we need to go about ourselves properly. But you would have all imagined when the, the draw for qualifying round three was made, you'd imagine we were going to Vienna um, to play Austria-Wien and, and that would have been a difficult tie in and in amongst itself for this now to turn into a potentially winnable tie to make it in the playoffs, you're then expecting, well, no one our luck will then draw uh, one of the household names, as you say, and we've, we've kind of avoided them. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves right now, but I think it presents the club with a really good opportunity to potentially make the group stages. And that'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the manager and I guess the chairman. Do they stick or twist now, I guess, is a question in terms of getting some more bodies into the squad. I guess sort of caveats being... You know, we're not there, and obviously the, these other teams um, that are there are clearly no mugs, otherwise they wouldn't be there. You wouldn't really necessarily want to rush out and get you know, a couple of guys on the basis that you've got a couple of European games that might get you into the group stage. But on the other hand, if you've got any ambition, you need to be doing something about this, is, is my, how I would, I would see it. Uh, I can't think back over the last few seasons where we've probably had almost a route you would have picked, you know, through each tie, we usually get landed with a household name if we were to progress it and everyone's kind of thinking, well, that's maybe as far as it's going to go. So, yeah, it will be interesting. Obviously, the league campaign is really important, but it is brand new. So if the manager wants to maybe prioritise these next few um, European games, you know, there should be time to recover. Should we drop points in the league if he's, you know, if he's rotated or rested a couple of guys um, and personally wouldn't really have a problem with that. I feel like we should be uh, going all out for the next few games to to really try and get through. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I say, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. We've got a big game on Thursday and then the following week at Patoji, but fingers crossed we'll be looking forward to a preview against uh, AL Limassol or Carabag coming soon. So after our trip to Iceland, we travel down to the Tony Macaroni Arena in Livingston for our first away date in the SPFL Premiership. So Livingston obviously got off to a howling start in the league campaign on, on Saturday, a, a 3-0 scudding at Ibrox. I think it's fair to say their form kind of fell off a cliff at the back end of last season, didn't it? By my reckoning, after they beat us 2-0, there was one win in 12. So I think it's fair to say that whatever momentum or honeymoon period David Marginal might have had it, it evaporated very quickly and I would put them up as a contender for a team that's going to get relegated this year yeah I kind of felt I mean obviously the games we saw of them last season their biggest threat was J. Emmanuel Thomas um, he, he did a number on us a couple of times scored a couple of good goals against us I don't really recall there being much in the way of a threat from Livingston other than from Emmanuel Thomas and obviously he's now part of the Aberdeen team I guess the interesting one is that the, the connection just now, Bruce Anderson obviously went in the other direction um, as part of that move. So it'll be interesting, I guess, see how Bruce Anderson does this season. Well, obviously, we all wanted Bruce Anderson to do well as A, an Aberdeen player and B, a local guy. I think if you were to look objectively, I, I understand people will say he didn't have his chance, but, you know, the old trade-off is the manager sees him in training, obviously didn't offer enough. So a couple of highlights aside, I personally don't think we will miss... Bruce Anderson, and I'm not too sure that's going to come back and bite us. So realise, obviously, he's uh, his opposition come Sunday. I don't see him being an upgrade on Jet, if I'm perfectly honest. 
I would be disappointed if we didn't have enough to handle Livingston. You look at Livingston's transfer business in the summer as a whole, they've lost a significant number of players. I mean, as you've mentioned, Jet. Um, Scott Robinson, I think, has been a big part of their team for the last few years, getting through the leagues. Al Lithgow, same. Um, John Guthrie, I think, was a goal-scoring defender. Effie Ambrose, we can all laugh and joke about. Pretty good defender for Livingston. Um, Steve Lawson, I remember dominating our team in a 2-0 win for Livingston last year. Um, Aaron Taylor Sinclair and Rafael De Vita. Looking at it, I mean, their their biggest transfer incomings have been, as you say, Bruce Anderson and Andrew Shinney, the um, lesser brother of one Graham, like once captain Aberdeen. Looking at it objectively, it's hard to see what Livingston have done to improve their squad. And like we mentioned, I mean, include if you include actually the cup final, it's 1-1-13 in David Martindale's um, final stage of uh, the 2021 season. I think they could really, really struggle this year. I think as well, it creates a good opportunity for us. We spoke about it last week that you want you get your league campaign off to a good start. I think we all felt that the fixture list was reasonably kind to us this time around. We've got three points on the door already with the with the result against Dundee United. I think going down to Livingston, the plastic pitch doesn't really seem to affect us. It gives us a great opportunity to go, to go two for two. It feels on the surface of things. And again, I referenced Livingston, you know, as you mentioned, they lost 3-0 um, in fairly emphatic fashion by the Suns, which Rangers. If you even look at their um, League Cup form, it's pretty inconsistent. It's what, two wins, a draw, and a defeat to Aloe Athletic. I don't get the impression this is a team coming into the season with a huge amount of confidence. We know what we're up against Livingston. I assume Dave Mardell is going to still play the same style of football in terms of it's going to be quite physical. I think we've got the guys to face up to that. And I think equally, we've got the guys who can take that element of the game away from them. Any aspirations Aberdeen have have to involve beating Livingston um, every time you play them. I appreciate opening myself up to the accusations of football snobbery, but over the course of the season, it's your Livingston's, etc., are kind of your bread and butter. So I'd be really disappointed if we didn't go down there and win. And based on what we've seen today, the way you've described Livingston, maybe the players they've lost versus the players they've taken in, it's kind of difficult to see why we can't go down there and get the three points. Um, again, it's never as easy as just turning up, especially when you're Aberdeen. But based on everything we've seen to date, looks like an away victory. And obviously, two out of two for glass would be excellent. So predictions? I am going to go for 2-1. The Considine, just because that's what he does. And then I'm saying Ramirez is two for two in the league. So uh, off the back of last week's predictions, I'm going to temper my uh, expectations and I'm going to say 1-0 Aberdeen. And it's the kind of occasion where if you're playing football manager, this is the inevitable outcome. J.M.I.L. Thomas, 1-0. Yeah, I-, I wonder if we might see a bit of a... Um... A freshening up of the of the side next Sunday. Um, obviously we'll travel to Iceland on Thursday, then in a way tied down at Livingston. I I wonder if we might see a little bit of a of, of a change. I guess it depends probably what happens in the first leg. I'm gonna say Livingston nil. No. I think Joe Lewis keeps a, a clean sheet again. I'm gonna go Aberdeen two. Ramirez and Johnny Hayes again. I'm gonna go with the same from today. Two 0 no. Solid. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. 
Join us next week where we'll have a look back at the first leg of our Conference League tie against Braithwaite and what we can expect in the return leg at Pataudry. We'll analyse our away trip at Livingston and we'll run the rule over our League Cup second round opponents, Wraith Rovers. And to round things off, we'll also be joined by a man who arrived at Pataudry in 1991 and made 54 appearances for the Dons, scoring five goals, the Mercurial Theodore Tencat. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. Today's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you by our sponsors, Maritime Developments Limited. MDL have bucked the trend and have recently grown their team to assist more customers with the maintenance, overhaul or specialist upgrade of their mechanical handling equipment. Their recently rebranded Asset Maintenance and Engineering Division offers a no-nonsense desktop-to-asset solution for platforms, FPSOs, rigs and onshore facilities with no surprises along the way. Satisfaction guaranteed for any asset owner looking for an improved service. MDL.